Witnessing, it, it sometimes seems like rocket science to us, doesn't it? It sometimes seems like a mystery, and it, it's one of those mysterious things. And have you ever been in a situation where you really wanted to say the right thing, where, where you knew like the time was just right? Oh, God's just opened a door for me. And, and you try to speak, and it's like somebody's grabbing your tongue and kind of shaking it while you're trying to talk. It just doesn't come out right. It's like somebody gave you a Botox injection right before you tried to speak, and you try to talk like this, but nothing moves anymore. We lived in the country of Jordan for 10 years. We served in ministry there in the city of Amman. And uh, in the early days of language learning, um, you're practicing language as you go. It's the language of Arabic. Um, and um, like other languages in the world, the, the verbal form has a particular way of saying it, depending upon whether it's first, second, or third person, masculine, feminine, singular, or plural. And then if you want to say, refer to somebody, then that's, you kind of add that on to the verb itself. So it's a little more complex than the way we say things in English. So one day I was walking back from doing some errands in our, in our neighborhood, and this was, we had been there about maybe six months, and um, always try, looking for ways to, to build relationships with your neighbors, because that's where real power in sharing comes from, isn't it? It comes from that relationship. Those guys at the end, that was real. The last thing you saw was real. Was, that, was there a real story? What really happened? Uh, the way that evangelism was done, very simple way. So trying to build relationships with, with some of our neighbors. We lived in a three-story building. The first floor was our landlords who were Orthodox Christians. We were in the middle and um, Muslims were up above us, so we were kind of sandwiched between these two families that did not like each other very much. Um, and uh, so I was coming, and so we, we lived sort of like in this little area off the street where you'd walk down a sloping hill, and then you had about 20 steps down, and a building here, a building here, our building, and then another building over here. And, and there was a guy who lived back here I'd seen several times, but hadn't really gotten to know him. You know, we've, we've been there just a few months, maybe not even six, maybe like three or four months. So one day I'm, I'm coming down this, the road and I see this guy with, you ever seen one of those portable TVs that's not portable? You know, it weighs like 75 pounds. It's like, yeah, try picking that thing up. Well, he's got one, of, it's probably like a 25-inch TV and he's standing at the top of the stairs looking like he's trying to navigate walking that stairs. I'm like, great, what a great opportunity. I can go and I can, I can help my neighbor, I can get to know him. Wonderful. So I walk up to him and I say, can I help you? Except in Arabic, that's not what I said. I said, hey, can you help me? He looked at me quizzically, and instantly I knew I had said something wrong. I wasn't quite sure what it was. So I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to do this mental translation on the fly, you know, and, oh, 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 oh okay. So, try again. So, can I help you? Except that's not what I said again. I said, can I help me? <laughs> and he, he kind of gave me a look and shook his head and walked down the stairs into his apartment building. I never saw him again. <laughs> that's how we are sometimes, isn't it? We, we try to engage and, and it seems like the opportunity is opening up and Boom, it's like, oh, I've let God down again. I've let eternity down again. This guy may go to hell because of me. And, and so we build, build up this whole shame and guilt thing. And it's, it's, a, it's a struggle. We try to be winsome with people, and yet at times we really struggle with it. We end up talking more like an eight-month-old. Well, I think there's some reasons why 
sometimes we, we drop the ball. Um, and I, I think God wants to free us up a little bit. I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Second Kings, one of my favorite all-time Bible stories, one of my favorite characters in the Bible whose name I don't know. And so, you know how you, do you ever think, when I get to heaven, I've got these questions I want to ask these people? Well, I want to find this, this girl and learn her name, because the Bible doesn't give us her name. But it's this wonderful story of, of a man named Naaman and his, his slave and what happens with Naaman. I'm going to read this passage for us, and it's, it's kind of long. It goes from verse 1 to verse 19, but it's important that, that we see it all together. So bear with me as I read. Please follow along, and just, just keep your hand in there, because we're going to keep referring back to this text. So Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. For those of you who are wondering, that's a lot of stuff. It's a nice gift. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a message to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he said to him, he came and stood before me. He said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So now accept a present from your servant. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mules load of earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, Go in peace. 
There's a lot in there. Remarkable story. See if we have this going. Great. So we're working to witness. Challenge, isn't it? You want to do your job well. We have a remarkable story of a girl at work who witnesses. It's an interesting witness, isn't it? As I look at this story, I, I, I pull out five principles that I think are really important for us to understand. First one is whining isn't witnessing. Now, as you read that story, maybe your mind kind of developed, wow, what would it have been like to be this little girl? Okay. She was a young girl, we learn. A little girl, verse 2, had been carried off in a raid by the Syrians into somewhere in northern Israel, because, of course, Syria is north of Israel. And so they probably weren't in the south, way down by Jerusalem and, and those areas, probably up in the north in the areas of Samaria. They, they took her captive. Now, when armies go raiding, they oftentimes do it violently, don't they? So we learned that she was forcibly removed from her home area, from, 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 from where she lived. She'd been taken captive. She was probably no more than 10 to 12 years old. Her parents most likely had been killed, or they were separated from her. She had no contact with her family. She was in a, lo- a new land, no friends, probably didn't know the language very well, no rights. I mean, she was a servant in somebody's house. I'm not sure how, how you perceive your work environment. Some people look at it as, oh, it's just slavery. Well, for real slaves, that's, that's a tough challenge. She was at work most all the time. It was a life, really, because of what had happened. It was a life of pain and of struggle. Some of us have pain and struggle at work, don't we? You know, to be honest. Sometimes co-workers, a boss, a supervisor. um, It can be a challenge to deal with the reality of work every day. It would be easy for this girl... To mock Naaman, wouldn't it? To make fun of him. Ha ha, this godless Syrian, he's getting what he deserves with that leprosy, right? It would be so easy for her to either whine or complain to God or make fun of her master or mistress's husband. He was a great man in his culture. It says he was a great man with his master who was the king of Syria. He was in high favor. And actually God had used him for victories for Syria. A mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. He had to deal with his own pain, this guy. I don't know about what your boss is like or what your workplace is like. Several years back, um, there were some excavations going on in London because they were developing something new, and they found some records from a company, and, and this record dated back to 1852, and it was a, it was a listing of of how they do their work at the company. So listen to what that company did in 1852. Point number one, this firm has reduced the hours of work and the clerical staff will now only have to be present between the hours of 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. weekdays. Clothing must be of a sober nature. The clerical staff will not disport themselves in raiment of bright colors, nor will they wear hose unless in good repair. Overshoes and top coats may not be worn in the office, but neck scarves and headwear may be worn in inclement weather. By the way, if you've ever been to London, 
It's always inclement weather. A stove is provided for the benefit of the clerical staff. Coal and wood must be kept in the locker. It is recommended that each member of the clerical staff bring four pounds of coal each day during the cold weather. No member of the clerical staff may leave the room without permission from the supervisor. No talking is allowed during business hours. Texting. The craving for tobacco, wine, or spirits is a human weakness and as such is forbidden to all members of the clerical staff. Point eight. Now that the hours of business have been drastically reduced, the partaking of food is allowed between 11.30 and noon, but work will not on any account cease. Number nine. Members of the clerical staff will provide their own pens. A new sharpener is available on application to the supervisor. Number 10, the supervisor will nominate a senior clerk to be responsible for the cleanliness of the main office and the private office. All boys and juniors will report to him 40 minutes before prayers and will remain after closing hours for similar work. Brushes, brooms, scrubber, and soap are provided by the owners. And number 11, the owners recognize the generosity of the new labor laws but will expect a great rise in output of work to compensate for these near-utopian conditions. My sense was, even though those workers weren't allowed to talk on the job, they had an awful lot of words going through their minds during the day, didn't they? <laughs> you know, you can just sense the frustration if you had to work in an environment like that all day long. You know, somebody walks by, you know, your boss walks through and he, and he hears you talk. What are you doing talking? Be quiet! I feel like they want to put you in the corner with a dunce cap on, right? Or something like that. Isn't it easy at work to whine or complain? Now, now of course, that never affects pastors like, like, like uh, Pastor Matt or I. We, 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 we never whine or complain about anything. Um, so, um, it's harder to speak something that always has the good of the other person in mind, isn't it? It's so much easier when, when we communicate to think about ourselves. And, and that's really what whining is, isn't it? It's thinking about me and how life is lousy and this happened wrong and my toe hurts and, 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 you know, the dog made a mess on the carpet and, you know, whatever it might be. It's, it's so easy for us to do that. And at work, it's so easy to find things to complain about. That's one of the interesting things when I get together with groups of men, like we had our men's breakfast yesterday morning. How was your week? Boom, it just starts in. It's like just picking apart work situations, because they feel free to share, and that's a good thing, but, but the trouble is sometimes we, we get there. So as we think about being a witness at work, whining isn't witnessing. So as you consider who you are in the workplace, ask yourself some questions. What kind of words have I said at work this week? What has my speech been like? Have I reflected things like grace and forgiveness, understanding, compassion in my words. And, and then the one that always strikes me as I seek to develop relationships with people who don't know Christ in order to be able to bring them the message of good news in Christ. Do people, do people really listen to me or want to listen to anything I have to say that's of substance? Am I that kind of person? I don't find in the little girl any evidence biblically that she was a whiner on the job that she was a complainer we only have one little sentence of hers and that's where we're going to really 
zoom in on. But secondly, and this is where we get tripped up a lot in witnessing is, is say what you know. Stuart Briscoe, pastor and writer, wrote this about being a witness. A witness is someone who by explanation and demonstration gives audible and visible evidence of what he has seen and heard without being deterred by the consequences of his action, i.e., doesn't matter what comes along, you're going to maintain your witness. It's a description of the early apostles, isn't it? Those first apostles who went out and, and testified about Christ. They, they knew who their Savior was. They knew who their rabbi had been. And, and so they spoke of him. There, there's that great story in, in John chapter 9 of the man who was born blind. And Jesus heals him. And then it's this, it's this kind of cascading of, of interaction between the man born blind and the rulers of the Jews because they're dumbfounded. How did you get healed? And weren't you born blind? They bring his parents in. Yes, we, we, we tell you he was born blind. And you know they're trying to do all they can to not get caught up in the whole thing going on there. And, and as you trace out what that man says... He, he doesn't give an exposition about biblical theology. He doesn't try to you know, define the hypostatic union or, or the Trinity. What he says is what he knows. He keeps saying, do I have to say the same thing to you guys again? I, I've told you, I was born blind. He put mud on my eyes. He healed me. And now I can see. Say what you know. Say what you know. Now, when we consider saying what we know as witnesses in the workplace, it doesn't mean that we should be lazy and not study and not learn more about our faith. It doesn't mean we should be, be dummies. So when somebody asks a question, you go, oh, I don't know. never thought about that. But sometimes we, we, we struggle to not be effective witnesses for, for, for other reasons. Ron Hutchcraft used to be on Moody Network for a long time. He, uh, he says there's four main reasons why people don't witness. Ninety percent of us have failed in witnessing attempts in the past. Anybody want to raise their hand there? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. My hand is up for, for, for good reason, definitely. Um, point number two is some people are biblically illiterate, so we don't really know how, what the Bible says. Some people leave it to the professionals, you know, the pastors, the evangelists. Aren't they supposed to really be the ones who are witnessing? And then fourthly, some people have the strange notion that we shouldn't impose our faith upon other people. And we're not imposing, we're actually sharing. We do want to avoid those kinds of excuses. We want to say what we know. What, what can you say? Well, those guys at the end of the story just said, you want to go to church with me tonight? That could be a great introduction. You want to go to church? We're doing something fun at church tonight. You want to come along? We're, we're having this small group in my home, and there's going to be pizza there. You want to come? In McKeesport, if you offer pizza, you'll get everybody to come. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Food is the, is the universal attractor. It's like a magnet. Talk about the real ways that Jesus has changed your life. You know, Pastor Matt this morning asked us that question as we began worship. You know, has, since Jesus came into my heart, what's, what's your life like? Is your life any different? Is there confidence in your eternal destiny? Is there a difference in the way you approach crises or turmoil or, or pain or sorrow in your life? There should be a difference in our lives. Hopefully all of us can talk about the cross. We, if you read the Gospels, it, 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 it's astounding the percentage of, of words that are given to that last week in Jesus' life and the events of the cross. 
So we know that much. that You can say, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Okay, we can say that. Maybe, you know, you guys are memorizing a Bible verse here, right? You're, you're doing where you take away a f- few words each time so that by, by the end you're going to have like the first word and that's then it's going to be it. It's going to be all, that, that's a great thing. Memorize some Bible verses. How many of you memorized John 3.16 in your life? Yes. Okay. What a great place to go. You know, so say what you know. Now, your pastor is a graduate of the Moody Bible Institute. A very proud graduate of that good institution. And uh, I'm sure he'd be happy to know that I've got a D.L. Moody uh, illustration to this morning for you since I knew that, that Matt had gone to, to Moody. So he, he was once speaking to a woman. Now, of course, D.L. Moody was a great evangelist um, and founded Moody Bible Institute. He was speaking with a woman who didn't like his method of evangelism. He said to her, well, I don't really like mine that much either. And so he asked her, what's your method? She replied that she didn't have one. He said, well, I think I like mine better than yours. When I was a young Christian, I, uh, for the three summers during college that I was home, um, I worked for a painting contractor. Uh, a friend of mine uh, knew the boss of this company. Um, they were all non-Christians. In fact, this this company had two guys who were, who had been at one point in their lives very confessing, fundamentalist Christians, but they were about the opposite at that point. So I was this, I was fresh meat for them. Every day at lunchtime on the job, I work with these guys all the time. They helped train me as a painter. Um, they were good painters. Um, and so every day I'm like in the lion's den. Okay, what do I do here? And and I had to be able to not be a whiner. I had to be able to just say what I knew because that first summer I had been a Christian about seven months. I didn't know anything. I was a dummy. I was reading my Bible and trying to learn as much as I could, but I didn't know much. But it gave me great opportunities every day to interact with those guys and let them laugh at me. And yeah, you can laugh. I've got my little New Testament here again, you know. I always had it in my little lunch bag, my, my pocket, New American Standard, New Testament and Psalms, and I would try to read that at lunch. Um, I could share what I knew, and I could let the Bible speak for itself. So, say what you know. You don't have to worry about techniques. Some of you have learned how to use a thing like the bridge illustration or the four spiritual laws. You've gone through evangelism explosion. There's, there's lots of other programs that, that all can be a very good way to help you be more effective in getting the words out in a, in a cohesive kind of way. But you don't have to have a method. There's another thing that's important here as we look at what this little girl does. You know, she said what she knew. She knew that there was a prophet in Samaria named Elisha who had the power of God upon him and he was doing things that were miraculous that no one else could do. So she was sure that if her master would go there, would just go see him, that Elisha could cure him. The power of simple words. The fact is that most people in the world are going to hear about Christ from you. Somebody did a study in the Gospels of 132 contacts between Jesus and people. Six contacts occur in the temple. Four contacts occur in synagogues. The other 122 contacts are outside of those religious institutions. They're in the workplace. They're 
in the neighborhood. They're on the street. They're on the ball field. They're at the concert. Wherever people gather, that's where they're at the wedding. That's where Jesus is interacting with people. And so he demonstrates, because Jesus is our perfect example, he demonstrates for us again and again what it means to be somebody who's engaging with people. And so she says this very simple thing. Would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. She didn't try to explain Hebrew cosmology or recount the events of the Exodus or you know, spew the Ten Commandments on her, her mistress. She just said, wow, he's got such a great need and God could do something through the prophet if he would only go see him. If you work in a work environment where there's non-Christians, be sure that they have needs. They've got some needs. And some of those needs may be deep. They may have financial needs. They may have professional needs. They may have family and relationship needs. They may have marriages that are crumbling or have just crumbled. They may have health needs. All kinds of things that are going on. What God wants us to do is engage with people so that we begin to know them a little bit so that we can actually speak a simple word into their lives. So as you learn about needs, and this little girl learned, knew about her master's needs, she was confronted because leprosy is, if you've got a bad case of leprosy, anybody ever seen pictures of, of lepers? It's, it, it's, it's, it's not a fun thing. It can often take very kind of grotesque kind of, kind of demonstrations visibly. She would have seen that need every day. Maybe the place to start with simple words is to su- just as you learn of somebody's need, hey, I'd like to pray about that for you because I know how much God loves us and, and God can work through prayer. Think about that. This is something that was so effective for us in, in, in the Middle East working with Muslims because Muslims believed in prayer, but our prayer is very different than Islamic prayer. It's, it's not ritualistic and five times a day, and it's very much personal. And, and we would have friends all the time ask us to pray for them. And we would say, I will pray for you. And they were like, wow. It was a demonstration of caring, of love. It was something simple that we could say without having to get into all kinds of theology, especially when you're learning a language and you can't say much anyway. It's a great thing to say. I'll pray for you. Anabasalillak, we'll say. And they'd be, oh, thank you. Shukran, thank you. Simple words. Now, there may come a time when one of your co-workers asks you a deeper question about the faith, and you may all of a sudden be like, I don't know. Well, that's happened to me. People will come up to me and say, what do you think about this? And I'll say, I'm not quite sure. You know what's really good in terms of being simple? It's being honest. Honest words are simple words. You can say, you know, I don't really know about that, but would you give me some time to to do some study, maybe talk to my pastor or, or one of the elders at my church who may know that a little bit better than I do, and I'd be glad to come back and, and talk to you about that again. Boy, isn't it freeing to, to not have to say what we don't know, but just to say what we know and, and, and to keep it simple. We do live in a day of biblical illiteracy. People, it, it's astounding that, that now you know children in, in schools really... Kids in our town of McKeesport, which is really very urban in many ways, many of those kids, they've never even heard of the name of Jesus. They, they, they don't know. So, so there is biblical illiteracy. There's a lot of questions we can ask, but 
sometimes we're a little illiterate and we have to do some work, and, and that's okay. So, remember the old phrase, keep it simple? That's right. I will own that one. It still works. It still works. But I see embedded in what this woman, this little girl said, the, our fourth, um, there's our verse, our fourth principle, and that is, say it with love. Now, you can spot an insincere salesman from a mile away, can't you? Car salesman, encyclopedia salesman, appliance salesman. And you know, especially if it's toward the end of the month, right? Because then they have to work on their commissions. They need to get that, that up. And they're just feeding you a line. And they know that they really don't care much about you. You can really pick that up, can't you? It, it's fairly easy to do, those who are insecure. Do we come off like that as Christians sometimes with our non-Christian friends? Like we have to get something out. We have this, this programmed message. We have to kind of throw at them. And then at, at the end of that, it's like like this guy, you know, with a megaphone. You know, you need to surrender your life to Jesus, you know. Uh, turn to the Lord or drive a Ford. You know. What I find in this little girl is that she has no personal agenda. She's, she's kind of without guile, it seems to me. That she just expresses compassion on her master who was afflicted. He was a great man and he was esteemed in his culture for what he had done professionally, but personally his life was full of pain. And she says, would that my Lord would go to the prophet who's in Samaria. There is compassion there. She's one of my heroes because what she evidences to me is some of the biblical principles that Jesus taught us. What the law says, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second great commandment, isn't it? You know, when, when the, the, the guy came to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment? All, all 613, Lord, what's the greatest one? He doesn't go to the Ten Commandments. He goes to the beginning of Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is like under the first. It's a caring about that other person much more than you care about yourself. She's not whining. You're getting what you deserve, buddy. <laughs> no, would that he would be healed. I haven't had much contact with lepers, but it's a, it's a terrible disease. It's noticeable. It can scar you. If you've read much of your Old Testament, you, you know about the way that the Jewish law kept lepers separated from their, their culture. They could not go to worship. The, the height of, of their lives, they could not go to the tabernacle. And then when the temple was built, they could not go to the temple for worship with the rest of the community. They were shut out. They had to live in their own places. They couldn't have normal human contacts. They couldn't walk up to a friend and give them a hug because they might be contagious and it might spread. There's all kinds of interesting dynamics here because now Naaman has to go to Israel. Of course, is the, the Israelites and the Syrians weren't exactly buddies. They were, they were enemies. They were foes. They were against one another. And this little girl was an Israelite, wasn't she? Again, think about how she could have had resentment burning in her heart day after day. Maybe you have a boss that is just really good at getting under your skin. Or, or, or get none of the skin of your co-workers. It can happen. 
her words, though, don't betray that. It's like, there's been a few times when I've watched Christian preachers. I don't watch that many Christian preachers. I try to watch Pastor Matt because he's, 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 he's a good one. But, but have you ever had a Christian preacher who's like screaming at you with, with the veins bulging out of his neck that God loves you? God loves you! The message gets a little bit lost, doesn't it? Because the messenger isn't conveying it with compassion. He's not saying it with love. It's a great story of a pastor of the Methodist Church in uh, Scarborough, England, William Sangster. He had an, a, a church member who was a little bit different, shall we say. Um, he wasn't quite fully formed mentally. Good guy. And so a lot of times when he tried to do something, he did it wrong. And actually, at, at one point in his life, he was working as, as a barber. And so he lathers the guy up, and he puts the, the gown on him, and he, 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 sharpens, he sharpens the straight razor, and he comes to take his first stroke, and he says, are you prepared to meet your God? The man did not get a shave that day. Whew, out he went. <laughs> so we need to say it with love. And lastly, we need to just let God work. There's, there's a great phrase that Campus Crusade uses when they train you to do evangelism. And they train you in their method, and they want you to use their method, but they have a great phrase because they want people to, to tell the good news by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they want you to leave the results with God. Just let God work. You know, that guy who invited his friend to church. Let God work. My wife had a relationship with a woman for, for years. She was a, the mom of a friend of our youngest son. And they went through Boy Scouting together. Then, then they were also in the, the high school band together. And Sarah developed a friendship with this woman, Sherry, over years. And, and she would start bringing spiritual things into the conversations. But she would never like push Sherry into stuff. And, 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 and yet it, it came up time and again. And Sherry began to ask Sarah, would you pray about this for me? Would you pray about that for me? And she was a... She was a Roman Catholic by, by upbringing, but she wasn't really attending the church very often. And, and they, they moved away to Virginia Beach, and, and so we just kept praying for them. Um, his job took him down there for a while. And uh, after they had been there for about six months, she had had a random encounter with a pastor of a, of a Bible-teaching church. And he invited her to come to, her, come to their church. And so she did. And she had never been in a Bible-teaching church before. Like this, where there's life when you sing, where there's life in the Word, where you read the Bible. And she was astounded. She had never encountered anything like it. And so she went back. And she went back again. And she went back again. And then the, ba- the, the pastor started talking about baptism. You know, if those of you want to get baptized, and she's like, what's that all about? Don't you get baptized when you're a baby? And so she talked to the pastor. She said, well, you need to come come to these classes because you need to understand some things before you get baptized. And in the course of those classes, she gave her life to Christ, and then she got baptized. And now she's attending that church, and she's writing emails to Sarah now about the great things she's experiencing in life in that church. But, but Sarah all the time was, was, was saying what she knew, was leading Sherry. That's something every one of us can do. We can all do that. But she was letting God work. And that's something I appreciate about my wife is she believes so strongly in the power of God to work that she never has to force herself into doing something that's not right at the time. 
So you don't have to ask your boss or your coworker. You need to get down and, on, on your knees and pray to Jesus right now. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But we need to let God work. Maybe that's the hardest thing for us, isn't it? To just trust God that He's going to do His work. That it's not up to me. It, it, it really it doesn't depend on me. It depends upon God. But I want to be a faithful communicator. There's an astounding reality that the Apostle Paul tells the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says that, that you and I as believers, the church, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now living overseas, I got to know several ambassadors. I got to know the American ambassador, British ambassador, a few other ambassadors. And I, I, I got to see their work up close. I, my legal residence in Jordan was as a, a foreign journalist, and so I had to dialogue with them when I was doing journalistic kind of work, when I wasn't teaching at the seminary, doing evangelism, discipleship among Muslim peoples. And, and the ambassador, above everything else, is most important, is most concerned for his own country. Representing his country faithfully and effectively, he doesn't really care about other things. What he cares about is carrying out the mission of his country, where he comes from, who sends him. That's who you and I are. We are ambassadors. We are those who are bringing the message of reconciliation to the world. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Let me leave you with three things that are practical, hopefully that will help you in, in, in your work of being a witness at work, of working at that, because God wants you to be effective there. This little girl, look what happens to the story. He gets healed, but that's not the end of the story here, is it? He gets healed, and he says, Now, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. He's become a believer. He's been converted. He's no longer worshiping the gods he used to worship. He wants to take earth back because when he gives sacrifices, he doesn't want to do them like he did anymore. He says, when I go into the house of Rimmon, which was one of their gods, I have to go in there because my master, he's old, he's holding onto my arm. When I go in there and I bow with him, I ask you to forgive your servant. Why? Because his heart's not going to be there. His body has to go through the motions. But he's saying, trust me, that's not who I'm praying to anymore. So this man gets healed. This man gets a new eternity. Because a little girl said something very simple, all she could really say, in love, because she cared about that guy. So, you are not alone. Where do we go? You're not alone. God is with us through His Spirit. You have a message. The message of the Gospel. Live it out. Speak about it when you have opportunity. Pray for people. And be that messenger so that you're both sharing Christ with your world.